Uh, my name is Jeremy. Welcome. Morning. How are we? Good. Super. Awesome. Uh, all right. Let's start out the day talking about punk rock. Who doesn't love to start out Sunday talking about punk rock? Uh, so punk rock as a, a musical genre started in, around, in and around the 1970s, sort of birthed uh, through this kind of anti-establishment kind of movement, uh, mainly in two places, New York and England. So in New York, you had folks like the Ramones. In England, you had folks like the Clash. And they were responding, kind of fueled by all kinds of things, especially in the UK. Life at that time was pretty crummy. There was terrible work conditions, political unrest, uh, and all other forms of things that that younger culture was deeming fake, inauthentic, not real. And into that, there is these, these songs that begin to be birthed, these sort of real-life, gritty songs like Rock the Casbah. You remember? Rock the Casbah, right? You may have heard it at a wedding, but what it actually was before you were, uh, you were singing along with it at the, the latest wedding you were at is this Clash song that is about the, the guy who wrote it, Joe Strummer, the lead singer, was concerned because there was a, uh, he heard about in Iran that there was this sort of oppression of music, that if you owned a disco record at that time, you could actually be lashed for it. And he heard that, and the way that he was protesting that and speaking into that in the only way that he knew how was to write a song called Rock the Casbah. What's a Casbah? A Casbah is these, this giant tower that would surround cities in the Middle East. And so he was saying, rock them. Like, for those about to rock, we salute you. Uh, Genesis, especially Genesis 1, what we're about to read, is this sort of punk rock protest. It is, it is flying in the face of what everyone around these people, the original hearers of this word, it is flying in the face of everything that they knew to be true. Because who was this being written to? This is being written by Moses in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the people of God, Israel, coming out of the land of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery is enough time for you to be completely indoctrinated and completely enculturated in things that you were not even aware of. And so in those 400 years, just the fact that they worked every day, they were told they were nothing, they were scum, they were only good to help them build their things and then go uh, away from them in any time that they had. And so they, they had that moment where as they left Egypt, of like, who are we? Where did we come from? What is our history? And maybe some remnant of this God who created all things would have been passed down generation to generation, but by and large, God's people had forgotten it. This is being spoken into those people's ears and into our ears. Because in the very same way that that protest was a, an affront, was flying in the face of everything that that culture believed, so it is doing the same thing to ours. It flies in the face of what we may assume about where the world came from 
and what is its origin? Uh, is there sort of, is this world just sort of floating in space? Is there just a chaos that is unending and will eventually just spin into nothingness? Or is there something more? Genesis 1 speaks into that for us, not just in a big cosmic sense, but also this week in a very personal sense. Speaking to you and I individually, not only about the origin of all things, and a little bit more of this to come next week, but the origin of you. Uh, Why are you here? What are you doing? What is this all about? Okay. With that being said, let's jump in. This, uh, This text is a little bit longer than it was last week. So, Donna, would you come up? And this is Genesis 1. Uh, all the days of creation stopping right before the creation of mankind. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth spout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light unto the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give them lights on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds and ate every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeped on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Man, that was a mouthful, Donna. Thank you. Um, here's, we could take this a hundred different directions. I can't do a hundred different directions. I can do one. So here's what one direction we can take this. And that is to look at the refrain all the way through. There is a lyricism to what Donna just spoke. There is, even without her, she said she was concerned I was going to make her sing it. Because there, there is a singable quality to this. There is even a sense that there are verses and there is a, there is a chorus, a refrain that continues to resound even today. And he saw, and it was good. And God saw, and it was good. Day after day after day, he rejoices. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down by that metaphor of the verses and the chorus. So each orderly day of creation, we're going to count that as the verses and hit that first. Then, what is the chorus? What does that chorus of, and he saw, and it was good, what does that communicate to us as we sit here today? That's the goal. Okay, so first, the verses. Uh, each one of these days of creation, we, we have to understand and peel back because we can bring all sorts of assumptions to Genesis 1. This is, you know, I'm sure all sorts of questions are flying around in your mind right now. Or all sorts of questions may have been flying around in your small groups this week. And there's all sorts of really good questions to ask of this. I'm not sure all of them are what the text is trying to answer. So let's try to get after what is the main thrust of what the text is trying to answer. So everything from, is this a metaphor? Is it real? Uh, how long are these days? Are they 24-hour days or are they much longer days than that? Uh, how does this understanding of the creation of the world square with what we know in the scientific community? To be fair, this is difficult to understand because we're, we're reading this through language, linguistic, cultural, and historical barriers. This is written to a different people at a different time in a different language. There are difficulties there. So we're going to try to do our best to understand who it was written to in their original context and how that then applies to us today. Because what is true of this is that if it's the word of God, it does still communicate to us today. It does not return void in the same way it did not return void to those uh, ancient Israelites. Okay, here's what we know. What we know of Genesis 1 is that it is true. How, how do we understand that? Well, I, I mean, of course, preachers are going to get up here and say, you should believe this because it's true. Let me give you a little bit more reason than that. Uh, anytime you come up upon something, and I've said this up here before, that seems confusing to you in Scripture, find another place in Scripture that seems a little bit more clear. So if we find another place in Scripture that helps us to understand this, is it true or is it supposed to just be kind of metaphorically understood? Hebrews 11.3. By faith... We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it, uh, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what Hebrews 11.3 is saying is that by faith, part of what having faith and trusting in God looks like is that we believe that Genesis 1 is true. So let's enter into this text under the assumption that this is true. Uh, there are multiple ways then to interpret what exactly this is talking about. If you would like a deep dive 
in that, you can Google PCA creation report. Uh, that's our denomination, got together a bunch of eggheads and said, hey, we're going to figure out uh, the every possible way that we can understand this and still hold to the reality that it is true. Uh, all of those have been documented. It's, it's a long read, but it's very easy to read if you would like to know more about that. I can't hit all that today. So let's go back to that metaphor of understanding this as a song, a true song, but a song. Like in the same way that Martin Luther King, his I have a dream speech, he is saying very true things. But, and he is, I mean, in a way, he's also very much protesting in a similar way that we read this. But he is also, in the way that he speaks, he is, there is a song in his heart. There is a lyricism in the way that he is going about saying what he is saying as it is true. And in the same way, there is this lyricism to Genesis 1. It dances through each day of creation with this common refrain, it's good. Uh, if, you know, I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't bring in Narnia every once in a while. Uh, this is how C.S. Lewis imagines this going down. This is in The Magician's Nephew, which chronologically is the first book of the Narnia series. Uh, Aslan, who is, speaking of lions, uh, who is this lion, sort of godlike character in and through all of the series, in The Magician's Nephew, uh, they first stumble into Narnia, and they stumble into complete darkness. They hear this beautiful noise coming out of the darkness, and they start to see flinging out of the darkness sun and stars. And then they see a lion. And you can see above me. The lion was pacing to and fro about that empty land and singing his new song. It was softer and more lilting than the song by which he had called upon the stars and the sun, a gentle rippling music. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It spread out from, from the lion like a pool. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. What we also know to be true, if, if this is this sort of song by which God is singing the whole world uh, into being by nothing more than a word, then there is when you sing, what is coming out of your heart? When you're singing a joyful song, there is delight coming out of that. And so in the same way, we have to understand that if this is true, then there is delight coming from God into the world. There is not this sort of grumpy disposition of, oh, look at, look at all of this. Or oh, I had to work so hard to make this. But there is this like, yes, I love this. I love the mountains. I love the ocean. I love the birds. I love the lions. I love, I love. But there is also, as much as there is lyricism, there is also order. Because remember, this is speaking to a people who believed that creation sort of spun out of this chaotic uh, attachment of one God to another. And there was this fighting and this spinning out of chaos into more chaos. And so very calmly, the six days of creation begin to create this structure where for three days, the habitats are formed. And then the next three days line up where those habitats are filled. Like I had hamsters growing up. 
And I don't know what it was. There was like this thing with hamsters at that time. And you could go to a pet store and you could buy all these little tubes and you could connect, you know, you could like make the tubes, do this maze thing all over the place. And I had, I was an only child, I had not much to do. So I had like two or three different um, of those cages and there was uh, tubes attaching one cage to another. I had a ton of fun building that thing. And then came the day that I got to fill that with all of these little tiny rodents <laughs> that eventually would run away and get eaten by my cat. So God spends a ton of time and intention and delight creating this world and then fills it. So day one, he creates light just out of the glory of who he is and sets that. And then on day three, he gives glory to the sun and the moon to sort of carry on that reality until, like Revelation 21 says, there will be no sun or moon and the glory of God will be the light again. Uh, day two, he brings, separates the water into sky and the sea. Now, much more to say on this. If you want to another Google project, you can Google Bible project. There's an article that describes sort of the different understanding of what they would be reading and their understanding of how the world works. Their understanding was that when it says that there was this sort of firmament up here or vault, as it's, I think in the NIV says it, it's like there's this thing that's holding up like the ceiling and through that is poked all of these stars. And that's why it rains sometimes because there's waters above it. And those waters fill, fall down through that firmament and fall down onto the earth. And the, the, the land is then held up in the same way with all of this water around it. God pulls the land up out of the water and separates the water from the dry land. That's day three and then fills it with animals and with insects. Okay, just a couple of things to help us get a little bit of understanding on what the verses of this song is. Verses, that fills in a lot of the details. Now, let's talk about the chorus. Like, what is the song that we're supposed to hear this morning? Remember that the goal for these particular people is identity and purpose. They were identity-less and purpose-less people coming out of Egypt, as you would imagine. As people who had only been told that they were worthless, they began to believe that. As people who had only been told that their life mattered nothing and was not going any direction, so they were being given purpose and identity. And the thing is, none of us are immune from that same feeling. None of us are immune from feeling like our lives are purposeless. None of us are immune from feeling like our lives are not going in any particular direction. None of us are immune from thinking that our identity is built based on what we do or what others say about us and not some outside objective reality. And God speaks into that. And he speaks into it for us. Because the Israelite story is our story. Like, we so long to hear the song, it is good, over our lives. We so long to hear what nature did so well and just flourished. They, they had their seasons to live, they had their seasons to die, and they budded and they bloomed and they barked and they chirped and they delighted as being the creations that they were. We were the only ones who went askew. We were the only ones who said, I, 
I feel like there's more out there for me. And I feel like the only way to do that is to leave what I have always understood to be true and to plug my ears to the song of the Lord and instead to go after created things. That's the the great exchange at the beginning of Romans 1 that says we have taken created things and we have elevated them and worshiped them instead of the creator. And why do we do that? Because creation's amazing. We all love going out and hiking. We all love spending time on the beach. We all love uh, those of you who are birders. Isn't isn't there a word for birding? What's that word? Duck hunting. (laughs) That's a different hobby. Both are valuable. Both have their place, right? But there's, there's something that we delight, we love in going outdoors. And there's something about that that can fill our souls. Why? Because there is an echo of the it is good of our creator that we find in there. But here's the problem. We will run to those things to hear that it is good that only the Lord can actually provide for us. And so we will run to romantic relationship because we hear in, in that the echo of companionship and delight. We will run uh, to the goodness of food because we hear the echo of creativity and of satisfaction. We, we run to the goodness of work because we hear the echo of that song of ambition and satisfaction and achievement. And all of these things, we, we try to cobble them together to say, sing over me, sing over me, sing over me but none of them can sing loud enough. Whatever it is this morning that you might be asking, will you please sing over me? It could be another person. Uh, It could be something in your workplace. Uh, It could be just even your own self-esteem sense of, oh, if, if I could just feel like I was good enough. Whatever it is that you're asking to sing over you, do you know that there is a louder song Do you know that we grow deaf and dull to that louder song all the time? Do you know that the Lord this morning, and like Janie and the team has already invited us to do, is we're responding in song to a song that is already over us. And so this passage then invites us in to lay those things down. Because there is only one who has perfectly lived under the song of the Lord his whole life. There is only one, the son of God, who came into the world perfectly living, perfectly hearing the song, clear-eared and clear-eyed exactly what his identity was, what his purpose was. When he comes onto the scene, we hear in the gospel of Matthew, the, the spirit, when he's baptized, when Jesus is baptized, the spirit falls on him and then you hear from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and he continues to live with that sort of affirmation over him it allows him to do some real hard things he does not live an easy life and after those 33 years of that life following hard after his God all the time living perfectly he winds up being betrayed he winds up with no more friends He winds up up unjustly tried, and he winds up strung up on a cross, slowly suffocating to death. And at that moment, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know what he hears? No more song. 
why have you forsaken me, is what the Lord should be asking of us. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you walked away? Why have you plugged your ears to my love and gone after created things instead of me, the creator? And yet Jesus takes the why have you forsaken me. He was the forsaken one. Taking our penalty, bearing our cross. Jesus was forsaken for our forsaking of our God. And then in that moment, in his death, three days later, in his resurrection and ascension, now, Jesus says, for all who believe in me, that same it is well, it is good, that existed over Jesus his entire life until the very end, now can be yours and mine. So here's a question. As we come to the table, what in your life are you currently longing to sing over you? What created thing are you longing to hear it is good from or you are good from? It could be your job. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be a friend. It could be a broken relationship that you're longing to see healed. It could be just a, a, a right idea or a right action that you're hoping this time, maybe just this week, will actually happen instead of me screwing it up like I have other week prior. Second question, how much pain, anxiety, and destruction is that causing you? Because created things are not meant to hold that weight. And you end up crushing those things and they end up crushing you. As we come to the table, The Lord desires to sing over his people again. The Lord desires to remind us, like in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing for all who are in Christ singing is over you. The invitation for anyone this morning is to come and lay down, literally, as you kneel, to lay down those things that you've been trusting to hear it is good and have maybe continued to come back. It is not good. You are not good. Those things that we so long to have sing over our lives have actually sung more curse than they have blessing. Leave them here. Whatever those things are, leave those here. Those are good things in their place, but they're not God. They are not ultimate. And so whatever that is, leave that here and instead pick up the song of the Lord for you and hear that on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the time when I was forsaken so that you would not have to. The time that I heard no song so that you could hear it is good over your life. Not because of anything you do, but because of what Jesus has already done. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, as often as you do this, this cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. There is a new way to be rightly related, and it's through Christ. And so all are invited to come to Christ today and hear the song of the Father over you. And so as you come, uh, what we'll do is we'll, in a few moments, the band will come back up. We'll set up the kneelers again. And I invite you first to consider a few things. I invite you to consider, is this table for you? Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says that we should take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, that we should discern ourselves as we come to this table. And so here are a few ways that we can discern that. First, have you come to that place where you have said, yes, Jesus was forsaken and it was for me. I deserve to hear no more song. And instead, Jesus has taken that for me. If that is true of you this morning, this table is yours. But secondly, this is... Uh, a metaphor that I use often is that if we had a big enough table, we would sit around a giant table and we would serve it like that. This is a communal thing. Uh, and so are you living with other believers, walking alongside them, continuing to encourage one another to grow in your faith? And along with that, are there secret sins? Are there things that you're hiding? Are there things that you're holding back from the Lord that you do not want to let go of? Jesus would say, Leave this thing here. Go make that right with the Lord and then run next month back to the table. And if those two things are true of you this morning, I invite you to come. Uh, and so, band, would you come back up? And let me pray. So, Father, we, we ask that in these few moments that we have, that you would be kind. Uh, you would be gentle in pointing out ways to us that we have forsaken you. That you would be gentle in pointing out the other places in our lives that we long to hear it is good, I am good. But would your gentleness lead us to repentance? And would you, by your divine grace and power, as we come up to these kneelers, as we sit in our chairs and continue to sing, would you catch us that we might hear your song? Could we hear and could our hearts be settled with the it is good over our lives because of the work of Christ? Settle our hearts now as we take the table together. We pray in Christ.